I'm Bethany Planton, founder and CEO of BMP Consulting, a grant consulting firm located in Louisville, Kentucky. In 2016, I earned my Grant Professional Certified Credential from the Grant Professional Certification Institute. One of the ways I prepared to take the exam was to read and study the book, prepare for the GPC exam, earn your Grant Professional Certified Credential, which was co-authored by Kimberly Hayes DeMuga. Prepare for the GPC exam is a book for anyone in the grant grants profession or wanting to be in it. It's written in an informal conversational style with lots of practical tips, examples, and definitions. While full of good information, many books like this can be dry, but not prepare for the GPC exam. The writer's wit and humor are found on every page. So if you are thinking of sitting for the GPC exam, you can purchase Prepare for the GPC exam, co-authored by Kimberly Hayes DeMuga on Amazon. Well, hello there. I'm Kimberly Hayes Day Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you are listening to Season 4 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. What? Kimberly and I, we're doing more in Season 4 to help nonprofits, local governments, and the consultants who serve them raise more money and get more grants by sharing real-world experiences and interviews with experts in getting the job done. Mm-hmm. You may hear a y'all or two along the way. Or maybe all y'all. Yeah, it happens. And singing and strange sound effects. Cause it's how we that. roll. That's, <laughs> That's right. And you know, there's more of us to love in season four, if that was even going to be possible. With episodes dropping every other week, all year long. So all year long. Let's get into it. This podcast is brought to you by season four sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com? Check it out today. When Kimberly and I first started talking about episode ideas for this season, I knew today's topic was going to make the cut. We're going to play a little game of compare and contrast with the RFP process and application portals for private and public funders. We sure are, because who doesn't have strong feelings about all of this? And you know what? If you've been listening to me at all in the my sort of yin and yang with Amanda, you know I've got feelings about everything. And I am delighted to share a little bit of my feelings about this process. Uh, number one. There are advantages and disadvantages to portals and applications for public, and by that that we mean government funding, and private. They're good things and they're bad things. But my overall feeling about this is that this mess needs to change on both fronts. But that being said... uh, when I, when I used to teach and actually see people in a room without masks and pre-COVID, um, I would just tell people it's, it's a game and it's a game that where the rules are not equal and fair. But for right now, we, I encourage you to play this game, understand the requirements of public and private funding in terms of their portals and other all things uh, that, that we'll talk about. But, but also know that we also together need to advocate for change in these um, funding platforms. So that's just a snippet of my feelings that I would like to share. Thank you, Amanda. 
<laughs> well, until the past year or so, I mostly wrote federal and state grants. And sure, I occasionally dabbled in a corporate proposal here or a foundation grant there. But in 2020, I worked on a lot of these private applications. Uh-huh. And surprisingly, it has taught me a finer appreciation for the overload of information federal grant processes include, which I... I almost can't believe I'm saying how much I appreciate the federal process You, you right surprise now. me every time we speak, girl. You are a yes. surprise and a delight. Preach on. Yes. But before I go on some sort of rant about all of this, um, let's get started with our comparisons. And uh, P.S., I reserve the right to do some future ranting. <laughs> oh, rights granted, my dear. Get Do you see what I did there? Oh. <laughs> um, so, the and also I would like to say welcome Welcome to my world of private funding. <laughs> All these years, Amanda and I would meet for lunch, and she's like, I just turned in. She doesn't really talk like that. She goes, I just turned in these, you know, this epic grant to build a road. I'm like, I just turned in 1,200 things to fund a van. I'm tired. I mean, it's just, it's just a different, it's a different kind of game in the game metaphor yeah. that I used earlier. So here's the trick I have found. Um, because there's because it is private funding, there is no standardization across foundations. The Community Foundation of Greater Atlanta does not share necessarily information or there's no standardization. Let me back up and say there's no standardization of applications between community foundations across the United States. That's where I'm get, going with mm-hmm. this because they're private and they sort of come up with their own their own rules and needs and things. Um, There may be some larger organizations that share some things, maybe United Ways might talk, but by and large, instructions vary. (laughs) So you could have a detailed, you know, 20 questions, each one's three parts, and we need these 15 attachments, have a nice day. Or you could have, send us a proposal Tell us about your organization and what you're going to do with the money and we need a budget. And you have nothing to go on. That's a, I'm not <laughs> making this up. That's a really that's actually a thing that can happen. You're often left if there if there's not already a relationship with that funder, and I'm talking more about maybe private foundations that are family foundations or that have professional staff with whom you can interact. Um, you can use that as a way to get more information. You can go on a search through uh, listings at different free and paid donor databases, found foundation databases. You can look through the 990s for uh, requirements that they may have. They may have something there, but it's just kind of a treasure hunt. And sometimes I think it's really fun. And sometimes I'm like, this is nuts. What? Wh- you have to, foundations, you need to give away money by law. Nonprofit 501c3s, you can receive that money. Can we just all get along and make this a little <laughs> easier? Because while I'm delighted to do that as a consultant, now someone is paying me. Someone is paying me to go and do all these things because they don't have the time to do it themselves. Because guess what? They're serving their populations. But again, if you're looking at um, a, a request for proposal or an RFP for private foundations, your mileage may vary. Objects in the mirror may be closer than they appear. It's just each one is different. 
once you get into the groove of it, you will see similarities asking for the same kind of information, but often it's a different form. And I'm not going to go into all of that right now because I will erupt into a rant and no one needs that right now. <laughs> yeah, it's really amazing to me the difference between the RFP process, right? I didn't realize how much I appreciated the level of detail provided by a federal funder until I spent a lot of time this year seeking private foundation. And oh my gosh. Okay, so here, here comes my first rant. This is why I want to shout at them. What do you want from me, right? So I'm used to being given my scoring breakdown, a checklist of all the documents you require, the contact information, links to other helpful information. It's almost overload, right? Mm-hmm. And like you said, mileage may vary. And I've applied for several um, foundations where it really is like the bare minimum. And it's like, okay. I sort of know what you want, but ah, I don't know. So that's as someone who was used to lots of details to go down to almost nothing. It's, I really don't know what to do with myself almost. Right. Um, and like you said, a lot of times these smaller foundations don't have contacts. So if I have questions, there's no one for me to reach out to with questions. And that can be frustrating because um, I want to put together that best proposal. Right. And to me, everything that they provide, it just seems so vague. So it's kind of like I put something together. I'm like, well, I think this is what they wanted. They set a page. So here's my LOI letter. I hope I put all the right things they wanted in there. And here you go. And I think you're right, Kimberly. The more you do it and the more you find out what works and what doesn't, you get in a groove and you know what you're doing. But for me, who, I mean, I've been doing grants for nearly 20 years now. So you would think this wouldn't frustrate me, but because that's not my I haven't been spending a lot of time in this aspect of it. Mm -hmm. The whole, not a whole lot of details, just clearly it drove me crazy. (laughs) It's also the more you do it. uh, I, I tend to work from a sort of a case statement style document Mm -hmm. where whenever I went as an employee or as a consultant, where it's like, let's, let's say all the things about the program, you know, in the basic five or so key elements of any grant, it's probably going to be some sort of overview, org history, some sort of uh, program description, um, some sort of goals and objectives area, some kind of evaluation that they might want. And, and usually also a question about sustainability. Mm -hmm. Um, there, there could be other sections, but mainly it's covering those kinds of things. And the more you do it, you see these common elements, you just sort of start to develop. I won't call it boilerplate language because that's not what it is. <clears throat> and you certainly have to tailor every grant. because You're going to have to because they're going to ask for things in a different way with different lim- word limits or character limits or whatever it is. But keeping that basic information and being able to draw from it from a larger source document will help you uh, in the private uh, sector of funding. Oh, yeah. I am um, in 2020. I did a little bit of subcontracting for a, uh, a grant friend of ours. And the very first time she was she sent me the application and she's like, hey, can you write this this proposal for one of my clients? And I was like, yeah, I'm so used to being very interactive with the client to talk to them and get all the information I need. And she was like, oh, no. She's like, I'll just, I'll just send you the case statement, kind of what you were talking yeah. about. And you're right, a good case statement. I pretty much got 99% of everything I needed from there. There were a few things that I, you know, I sent it back to her with notes like, hey, it'd be really cool if, if they've got this kind of data 
you know, and if they do plug it in here where she could track that down, right? Sure, sure. But yeah, having, uh, if you're working for nonprofits, I could not agree more. Having a good case statement for all of your, your org as a whole and all your different programs is very helpful. So it's a good starting place. And I also want to just back up for a minute and say, you might be thinking, well, why wouldn't I just go for a government grant if everything's basically spelled out, even though it's long? I would say because generally federal funding and state funding tends to, because it's so onerous and there's so many moving parts, tends to also require a level of scope of work and service that may not be available to a smaller or medium-sized nonprofit. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so not everybody's ready to handle all the hoops you have to jump through. Or depending um, on the kind of organization you have, you may not want yes. public yes. funding. I mean, yeah. I, we're, but so, so it's really, it, it, that's a, a longer discussion that we've, we've covered in different episodes, but it's about knowing, you know, what combination of public and private grant funding is right for you. It's not just, oh, I should go for the biggest, the biggest ticket grant because mm-hmm. that's less work, but you're not going to be competitive if you are not able to deliver the work that they're asking for. And as much as I hate to admit it, it's still competitive and um, it can feel a Vule, one of our, I think he was season two, wonderful interview with him that started off the season. He calls it the Hunger Games. And yeah. it can feel a little Hunger Games-like, although for now, you actually don't have to kill each other to get the money. So yeah. I just want to... Well, and a- another comparison and contrast, too, is you know the amount of time it takes to put together a proposal. Because even though federal grants are giving me more detail, they usually are wanting a whole lot more. Yep. Um, as a general rule. And so, you know, I always hate when people are like, well, how many grants should I be writing a year? And I'm like, well, because the answer depends, right? For me, when I was working in local government full time, I may write anywhere from 10 to about 25 or so grants (coughs) on top of managing things too, because most of them are these huge federal proposals that take weeks, if not a month or two to put together, right? Versus I'm guessing like when you were at the food bank, how many will you crank in a year? You're probably doing 10 to 30 a month if I know yeah, you. Yeah, something like that. I mean, th- again, when we were meeting in person and we were sharing over lunch or at um, the Georgia Grant Professionals Association meeting, my my local government brethren would be – and they're, they're working hard, y'all, because these are big federal grants. It's a lot of work, and it's then it's the management and all its complexities and required documentation and all these things. It's just a different kind of work. So I was churning and burning. You know, I can't – and I think they do more now. When I first started at the food bank, I was the grant corporate and foundation grants person, and they've grown and expanded. But at that time, at my peak activity, it was – easily 90 to 110 grants a year they were some of them were in a lot of them were like smaller family foundations in a letter format building off that case statement but it's just a different kind of churn and also reporting on those um, smaller grants is nowhere like reporting um, for uh, public funding so absolutely yeah and kind of what we're already talking about but the application and attachment process is certainly different Uh, like we've already talked about the private applications so those foundations they tend to be shorter sure and you've got much less space to write like you're turning in you know maybe a one-page letter or maybe a five-page application now I get that there are some big foundation funders out there that it's a big proposal I'm not saying they all are 
but a lot of them are, are shorter. Um, and I have found so far in my experience is that they, from funder to funder, there's a lot of similar attachments they want from you, right? They want to see your 501c3 letter. They want to see your list of your board of directors. Sure. They also like to see a lot of documents related to finances, like last year's audit or your current budget, things like that. Okay. Um, I've also experienced that most of them want a letter from the president of your board of directors, basically them saying, yes, we really are applying for this grant. So those are kind of some standard things I've noticed on the private side. Um, and then on the flip side, public, these tend to be much larger applications, generally more space to answer questions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, although not always, I've done a million dollar proposal that the whole thing was eight pages and that included a signature page, a cover page and two pages of maps. So four pages of everything else for a million dollars. But they're typically bigger. I've never seen an LOI application for a big federal grant. I'm not saying it doesn't exist because, you know, there's lots of grants I don't know all about. But I have seen, mm -hmm. oh, but it was a, for a state funder where they did want an LOI style. Okay. Um, uh, it, but it was a state funder that was maybe, it was maybe federal pass-through fund. So it wasn't directly from that federal agency. Gotcha. Um, and then... Federal funders as well, all public funders, they want attachments. And there are certainly some things that you see from grant to grant, but it really could be just about anything. Your org chart, location maps, a resolution, who knows. Um, and usually you don't have to have a letter from your, you know, highest elected official usually or your board chair. Usually it's, they just have to sign the application, right? And that's kind of how that works. So, um, so those are some differences between some private and public. Um, and again, we're just doing all this to give you an idea. If you're new to grants and you're not sure which way you want to lean, maybe the type of job you're getting, we're trying to give you an idea of what you're getting yourself into, you know, on both sides of the coin here. And also if you are a local government uh, agency, then chances are there's not a lot of private funding available. Mm -hmm. Or if you are a faith-based 501c3, you may not be eligible for some public funding because you're faith-based. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's the way it is. And so there are lots of different uh, things that can drive this. But, you know, I just, I just want to share this right now, Amanda. Can I just do this? Share away. She's like, y'all, she doesn't even know what I'm going to say. But uh, I know it's going to be good. So go. Well, no, 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 it's not even. But I'm like, look, it, no matter how many pieces of paper you're asking for, it feels like that many funders are operating from a place of um, you are guilty until you're proven innocent. Yes. You know what I'm saying? It's like yes. a complete lack of trust. I'm like, my board chair? Are you kidding? My board chair could be pre-COVID, flying all around the country doing like big business things or whatever they're doing because they're business people who are volunteering for this board. He isn't sitting in his office hoping I'll toddle in and go, hey, can you sign this piece of paper? First of all, paper, visiting, really? Can we, do you think <laughs> that I am just going to randomly apply places? I mean, it, it's, it's really gets to me as you can tell, because it's like, it's like you just, it's like funders, really? Do you just think, I mean, who, like who hurt you funders? Okay. Who hurt you? Well, my theory on every rule in the grant world, whether it's a rule for the application or a rule for management, that rule exists. It didn't exist at the beginning, but it exists now because somebody broke that trust or somebody did something they shouldn't. And so the funder's like, oh, we can't let this happen again. So here's the new rule. So somebody once upon a time submitted 
a proposal on behalf of an organization and they were not supposed to, right? And so now the new rule is we got to have a letter from the board chair. But Amanda, I just, I got to tell you, and I'm not, I have never worked with venture capitalists before. Let me say that first. But I bet you, from what I have read and from what you shared about Theranos and, and then what was that other thing, Juicero, where it was like some like Wi-Fi phone-based juicer, she says with her old people talk. <laughs> um, and, and it's like, or you could just squeeze it with like a juicer or your hands. And they got millions of dollars. And something tells me that they didn't have to, please send in minutes from your last three board meetings. The more I find yeah. out about some of this, I'm like, they didn't have board meetings. They were doing shots and went out and whatever. It's just like, y'all really, but for this 20 grand, I got to give you, and you know, which agent, you know, which public agency I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I have to give you board minutes. I have to give you a list of board of directors, put in a specific format. I got to give you the like official seal that I think it came over on the Mayflower. I don't even know. And it's like, (laughs) I have to, all of these things. And it used to be until last year, it used to be in little binders that I would have to go and buy and put little color. I'm making, I'm gesturing now, putting those little colored construction papers in between each section. It's like, oh my God, really? Y'all really, what is it? Who hurt you? And also again, someone's paying me to do this and it's an agency that where I can demonstrate the need. Cause you know what? I don't work with agencies that don't need grant funding or fundraising. Cause that's wrong. But it's like all of this for what, what is it? You know, I, I just, oh, I have, it's just, it's ridiculous is what it is. And I'm hoping that we're moving toward a time when we can have a reckoning with this. I totally get why a funder would want to know, hey, are you fiscally sound? Or if we give you this $20,000 grant, are you going to spend it on Cheetos and beer? I mean, but also it's like all that documentation won't tell you that. And yeah. it, it's, it, it actually detracts from the, don't you want to, you know, hear from the people or the who've benefited for having this park or, or whatever, having board minutes or signed papers from the board president that you're not sneaking. Is that really where we are? I just, I just, I don't know, Amanda, thank you. And thank you. I'm going to stop now. (laughs) Um, Well, and I think um, you've heard people talk about trying to move closer to trust-based funding. Oh, what a radical concept, right? And that's, we need to get there. And I I don't know. Okay. (sighs) If we're not there yet, why don't we talk about the application okay. portal? Okay. I am now <laughs> I am now grant seeking Eeyore. Okay. Um so for private, as you might have imagined, uh, the process is all over the map. And I have to say I'm in the middle now of, of helping an organization that um is um, helps people all across the United States with a certain disease. And I am doing a lot of research and combing through 990s and all this, because as you can imagine, it's not like you could focus on geographical funders. It's not like you could focus um, on, uh, there's just some restrictions around, around grants. So I'm, I'm really searching around and I am stunned to see how many agencies, they have a website, okay? They have a website. 
They're not like sitting there with stone uh, tablets and chisels, all right? But they got a website, and then they have to write a little paragraph on there about how you have to mail stuff in. That they will not accept, even if it's COVID, they will not accept this. And I'm like, y'all are just breaking my heart because it means that someone is going to have to pay someone or some volunteer is going to have to do that and pay the postage and go to the post office right now and get all this documentation. And guess what? We're, and as of this recording, we're in a pandemic and it's really bad. And maybe having your people go to the post office or go to the, the office supply store and get all this paper and all this other crap and put it in the mail, is that really the best use of anyone's time? I mean, why mm-hmm. not? You've got your website. Why not get all crazy and have an online portal? Of course, that being said, I'm going to bitch about that too if it's not put together correctly. But I'm just saying, it's... um. There are so many family foundations, and I have read, I'm, I'm hot on this because I've read about 20 of those last night where I was combing through, where they're telling you how they're, they're sheltered in place, but you've got to go to the post office and mail stuff because they will not accept it by email because it's too hard, really. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just, I don't know why, I don't know why. Um, generally, I'm seeing more foundations, private foundations, go toward um, portals. But I think somewhere there's um, a portal consultant who's actually a gremlin in disguise and whose job it is to go all over the country sewing portals that are just possessed by minor demons. I don't know. Amanda, (laughs) do you think that's that's accurate? Maybe. (laughs) Amanda's like, I'm calling 911 right now. We're going to put you in a nice padded cell. But um, no, I know. Yeah, portals can be. Yeah, portals can be the bane of our existence sometimes. Public funding tends to be much more online, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, for most, even even the, the public agency I was berating moments ago, they're online. You still have to do all that crap, but at least it's online. So yeah. fewer trees die, fewer people have to labor around stacks of paper. Um, I just, I know that tr- also... And when I'm teaching grant writing, I'm also always careful to say, please don't wait till the last minute, because even in these very sophisticated portals, there can be a time lag or they can crash because too many people are using them. Mm -hmm. Um, Grants.gov has come a long way. I mean, they have come a long way since the dreaded days of trying to upload all those PDFs and hope that it would go through. They've come a long way. And even before that, you know, taking these giant boxes of paper down to the 24-hour post office near the airport, ask me how I know, and trying to make the deadline. Um, that They've come a long way, but they can still be super cumbersome. And it's not something that you should just imagine it's going to be right quick, like, oh, say, buying shoes on an online platform. And why, you ask? Yeah, I don't know. But I'm just saying. <laughs> so I'm saying it's just amazing to me how that works. But um, I think for public funding, yeah, most of it is online, but it's not foolproof. It's not a seamless experience. Let's say that. Oh, yeah. Let's be real. No funder has come up with the perfect application process. Um, but you're right. Things like grants.gov and other systems I've noticed have improved from year to year, yep, yep. which is much appreciated. Um, until we find the perfect process, 
Here are a couple of things that annoy me the most about some systems I've worked in recently. All righty. Ready? I, I got a long laundry list here. Y'all, she Number makes one. a list. See, I just free rant and Amanda makes a list, which is why we work so well together. So you <laughs> get on get on your list, girl, and preach about it. Here we go. How about portals that you have to basically do everything in one setting because it won't let you save. So if you start working and then realize, you know, something like your kid's sick and you have to go pick them up and take them to the doctor, you basically have, are going to lose what you've written because it won't let you hit save. Oh, I can do one better. If a squirrel somewhere around your place of business or your home chews through some power line, it's bad for the squirrel, but it's bad for you too because your power goes out and you have lost everything. Let me tell you, I always tell people losing power or technical difficulties only happen when you're working on a grant application. They know the, super that, close that, to the deadline. That suicidal squirrel somehow knew. I don't even they, know. They knew. Yeah. I so that's number one, that you can't save your work, so you can't come back later. And you can leave it open on the screen and hope nothing goes wrong, but mm, squirrels. Um, <laughs> number two, how about online portals that do not allow you to see the next page until you enter in all the answers on the current page? Seriously, y'all. So you don't even know, like, especially if it's an application that doesn't tell you what all they need. So you're like, are there 12 more pages? Is this going to take me two days or eight months to finish? I don't know because I can't get to the next page until I enter in my, e, you know, my EIN number for my organization. And I can't remember where I wrote that down. Right. Um, oh, I have I set up some dummy accounts before and I'm not going to say with which I said, I set them up. I'm like, oh yeah, this organization and sometimes I'll just, and then I'll delete it. Once I get the information yeah. I need, but yeah, I'll pull in an EIN number and, but then I delete it after I have downloaded it. And then I work with the client saying, here's what we need because I, and I, it's just an oversight, but it's like maybe funders and grant seekers, we should talk to one another and we can say, you know what, if you let us see the questions, the answers will be better. And it's a win-win. You know, you I'm just saying, yep. put it out yep. there. I'm trying. Anyway, go ahead. Put it out in the universe. Maybe it'll happen. Um, so number three on my list, for those applications that you still have to hand mail in. Oh, don't even. Man, go ahead. Go ahead. When go there's ahead. no confirmation that they received it. So basically, you have to wait until you either get your acceptance or your denial letter. Yep. And you're like, I hope they got it. They should have gotten it. But, you know, things do get lost in the mail. So, and also, if they say it takes too much money and time, can I just can I just go there for a second and say I feel you, money and time, but maybe if you move to a cheaper office space that wasn't so luxurious and had hot and cold running Diet Coke or whatever it is that you have up in there, you could take some money. I know I'm getting on it now, but I'm yeah. like, take that money and hire someone. Now, there's some fa- foundations, and I get it; they want every penny to go to the grantees. And I salute you foundations who were saying that, but you may be able to make the experience better for everyone, including yourselves by a little automation. There you go. And number four, the last one on my list, how about funders that are not prepared for the onslaught of help applicants will need when they start a new online system? All I'm going to say is answer your dang phones and your emails promptly, please. <laughs> Y'all, when Amanda says dang, it's a bit like me downloading on you in English and Spanish every cuss word that I say with regularity, just stringing them all together. That's Amanda's dang. So you need to know that she is hot on this. Oh, 
my gosh, there was this in 2020, they, this organization rolled out a new platform, which I appreciate. It seemed to be an improvement over the last system they had. And they did an online training, which was really nice. And I sat through it and I took copious notes and I was ready. Um, I couldn't even get logged into the system following their steps. And I even emailed their generic grants at blah, 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 dot com. Yep. And they were promised on the on the webinar, we will respond to any inquiries within 48 hours. Yeah, when two weeks go by and I'm still not in the system because nobody's answering the phone and nobody's returning emails. And I know 2020 was the year of everybody's working from home and things are crazy, but you can't okay. have well, a new system without help. Also, also Amanda, it, and we are the fortunate people who can work from home. First of all, I want to say that yes. because there are people who are essential workers who are getting just the raw deal right now. But I'm talking about people who are privileged enough to be able to work from home. Y'all, we've been doing this since March. We're recording this in December. You needed to have figured out your phone system issues and iron them out by now, you know, yeah. or get Amanda's son, who is our IT department. He, you know, <laughs> send, it, yeah. send that child an Amazon gift card and get him in there and, and he will make it right. Cause it's like, I'm not buying that excuse anymore. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so I'm yeah. just, oof. well, and we're stressed out enough. Yeah, um, man. I had, um, a client tell me, um, they were like, cause I submitted a, it was an online application, but it was all through Excel spreadsheets. It was, oh, it was interesting. I sent copies of everything to my client cause I always do. And she was trying to find some information and she finally just called me and she's like, I don't even understand how you were able to submit this. She goes, this is why I don't do grants. This is the <laughs> stuff that drives me crazy. Right. And I told her, and I was like, yeah, this is the stuff nobody talks about when you go to grant writing classes. It's all about, Oh, this is how you write a need statement and you need to have data and no. so important, but so much of your time is finagling all of this stuff. And, but that's the stuff that stresses me out because I don't have a lot of control over some of this stuff. And so when when I'm calling, it's, you know, especially for someone like me, when I'm calling, it's not because I've never done this before and I'm clueless from day one, which those people need help too. But it's, I have tried every trick in the book and nothing is working. And I just need a calm voice on the other end to say, okay, I'm going to walk you through it. And here's what we do. Because that's just, that's just basic that's customer, job. it's basic customer service. And I know I got sh online shoe retailers on the brain, but I'm just going to go there right now and say, and the founder of Zappos, he, he, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. I'm so sorry. But he passed away unexpectedly. He was like yeah. 46, right? And I was listening to an interview um, with him. Um, and he talked about how his company, I'm, I, I promise I'm going to relate this, Amanda. I promise I'll bring yeah. it home. Hey, I love all things shoes, so bring so, it. <laughs> so it was, Zappos is a company. They are not sponsoring this podcast, although, oh, Zappos. <laughs> we love you. DM me, Zappos. Anyway, um, but, um. He said, you know, I think of it, it's a customer service company. It's not a shoe company. And because, yeah, I mean, shoes, okay, a commodity to sell. But he was all about providing, and I think his company to this day is is excellent at this, the primary customer service experience, which means you answer people's questions. You're there to walk them through. And I'm not saying, yes, I am saying that. I'm saying if you are a foundation or a funder, public or private part of your stakeholder, your constituent, your client base, whoever you want to call us, it's the organization seeking funding. And mm -hmm. you have to give out that funding. Organizations like us, 
where we work need to have that funding. You should be able to provide, um, yeah, if Zappos can get a pair of shoes to me in two days, y'all need to be able to understand your online portal and walk somebody through it. Okay. Cause you know, mm-hmm. with this is, we are not, you know, this is not mission to Mars here. We're just, <laughs> we're just trying to understand why this thing won't upload. And so, you know, I think it's, it's a, it's a customer service model, but it's also foundations, public or private funding. We both need each other. And I think it speaks to the larger um, power inequity issue that is kind of at the base of, of, of all my uh, belly aching about this. It's like, you cannot exist unless you have people apply. So let's work together. Well, speaking of working together, mm. the best segues, let's talk about how we can make it better for grant applicants on both the public and private side. And let me just say that when you make it better for grant applicants, it's also better for the funder because like Kimberly already said, you're going to get a better product from us, which means you're going to have better service, right? Which is the whole reason you're giving money to begin with is to... Because you want it, you want it to do good. I mean, unless yeah. you're gallywags who are like stealing money, we're not talking about you. We're talking about the, the, the funders that are set up to take put money out into the world to do good things. That's what we're talking about. Yep. So first of all, funders... Please do us a favor and read your own guidelines and fill out your own form. Because <laughs> I think a lot of them have never done that. They just say, oh, it's, this, this sounds good. It makes sense. And it might. But there also may be some things that you're like, oh, you really can't answer that question in 100 characters and really give any kind of depth or breadth. Right? So it, it should give you some insight onto how simple or difficult that process is. And you can make improvements accordingly right so read your own stuff take your own grant proposal process and see what works and what doesn't right yeah um now we've talked um on season two about this um great resource but if you are a um, grant seeker of foundation funds and you want a way to anonymously give some good and or bad feedback on funders, check out grantadvisor.org, right? Kimberly, you always call this the Yelp of, of grants. It, it can be Yelp, but it's also, if you're familiar with TripAdvisor, um, yes. and, and I know that there are drawbacks to these, pla- I get it. I know there are drawbacks to these platforms, these, these applications, but the idea of sharing honest feedback, um, and, and good and bad, but good and and bad um, can at least help all of us um, move ahead with, um, you know, getting a realistic picture of what working with a particular funder might be. And just like with Yelp and just like with TripAdvisor, it only works if you participate in the process. And you don't have to talk about bed bugs or or weird food. You just have to talk about go to grantadvisor.org and you can either sign up and it's free or you can do an anonymous review that's also allowable and um i just can't uh, recommend them enough to sort of help again um let's just get the conversation out there let's don't be cowering in fear from funders let's just talk about this and that's a good way to start grantadvisor.org yep um and then on the funder side um you should give a means for grant 
um, seekers to provide some on, honest feedback. And I know a lot of you are like, oh, actually, we asked that as part of the application process. Oh, Is there any way we can improve this? Yeah, improve Nobody. this. Improve this. They ask it at the bottom of the proposal where you're like, please give us money. Y'all suck. Really? Is anybody <laughs> going to do that? Not even me at my rantiest as an employee. I would never have done that because I didn't want to endanger the the funds, you know, if I'm at a food bank or an animal shelter or whatever, exactly. people could lose their jobs. People could go hungry. Animals could die. I'm not going to go, y'all's application sucks. Thank you. I hope you give us the money because um, I just don't think that would be effective. <laughs> but they ask it at the bottom. How can we improve? Yeah. It's like burn it with fire and start again. I You can't do that. That's not the right place to give that. Oh. It just isn't. No. No, there, it needs to be separate from the application process. And to really get the honest feedback that you want, you do need to make it anonymous because nobody wants to endanger their funding source. Or for their, their own client job. Or for their, their it could be your yeah, job. That you too. Could, I mean, if you're like, if I, yeah. I'm going to tell them politely even. You're not ranting. You're just uh-huh. like, hey, you know what? Three of the five pages of your portal would not allow us to upload or or – Making um, the board of directors a little form where we have to retype everything actually caused, you know, added 45 minutes to the process, whatever it might be. Um, yeah, you can't, um, you, you can't really give that. There, the, actually, I take that back. There were, uh, I think there were three funders over the years where they asked me for feedback because I had known the program officer for a while and they asked me for honest feedback and I gave it, but that's a trust situation there and you can't give honest feedback if it's also tied to whether or not you, you meet your own employment fundraising or grant seeking goals or your agency may lose a grant. And so again, you know, bad things will happen. Yeah. Well, and that, that is next on my list is that if you do have a good working relationship with a funder, there may be some opportunities here and there for you to share some feedback. But again, that's, you have to be comfortable with it. There has to be a level of mutual admiration and respect. Um, that hasn't happened a lot um, in work I'm doing, but there have been a couple of program officers that, because I've gotten grants over the years, we've seen each other, you know, every year at the, the grant workshop and then every year at the workshop they do, if you've won the grant and you just, you know, sometimes with certain people, you are able to build up some rapport. Um, there are a handful of people I have been able to, you know, and usually I don't put it in writing either. Usually it's a phone call like, hey, just food for thought kind of a thing. Um, so I, I would encourage you if you have those types of relationships, mm-hmm. um, you may want to think about that. So, and then my last tip is for the funders. Um, it's just listen. Okay. Yes. It's your money and you can create whatever process you want. Right. I've got to cut in right there. It's actually not their money. They're managing the money. Okay. It's not their personal money. It's not their personal money. They're managing the money probably from, um, a dead white person who may or may not have done interesting things to get that money that may or may not be something that they even want to talk about. I'm just going to say that. So I said it, please continue. Sorry. Okay. I'm not sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, ultimately as a funder, don't you want to get quality projects that have the ability to truly change the world? And if that's the case, which I hope the answer is yes. I hope everybody says, yes, that's what we want. You need to listen to the people who are doing the work to change the world because we have ideas on how to improve the process. Okay. And I'm not saying you have to take every change we recommend. Okay. 
but listen and think about what things could make the process better for everybody involved and consider implementing those changes. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Deep breath. I know. <sighs> uh, Amanda, I know I feel better. Do you feel better about getting that off and off your yeah. chest? And, you know, I really do. They say confession is good for the soul after all. Oh, they say, <laughs> they say. <laughs> Um, and, and before we wrap up, I do want to point out that Amanda and I are, are both, we've built our careers on this, about bringing, connecting uh, funders and projects and organizations and communities together. And it's, and we're, I'm deeply grateful. I know Amanda is too for that important work. Um, but we just, we just can work together to make it better. And to make it better for everyone, not just so that I don't have a bad day because the squirrel ate the phone line and interrupted my whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about getting the money flowing to do the things in the communities that are doing the hard work and the important work. It's not a one-sided relationship. And it sure did feel like that for most of my um, early career until I was able to establish relationships and also not I was able to 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 open up and and find ways limited though they were to give that kind of feedback because ultimately we're all working to improve the communities where we live and work and um we're we're ultimately all on the same page I just think we need to remind ourselves of that yeah. Amen to all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, in my experience, relationships are what make the world go round. Um, and Kimberly and I are just trying to use this platform to improve the grant funder and grant seeker relationship the best that we can. So. Yes. And thank you for listening. And if I've offended you, I didn't mean to, but I said what I said. We we wouldn't do it without you. We couldn't do it without you. Leave a review of Fundraising Heyday on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help spread the word. We are honored you chose to spend time with us, and we would love for this podcast to be a part of your professional development lineup. Thank you again to our Season 4 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, dhleonardconsulting.com, to download their latest free resources today. Thanks again for joining us. We decided that each season, we should highlight a grant professional who works in a specific sector of our field. Mm -hmm. And this year, we're going to talk to TJ Hansel, who has immense experience working with tribal nations. We hope you'll tune in. Bye now. Bye, y'all.